Hey, I'm Dr. Laura Berman, a sex and relationship therapist. And for the past three decades, I've been helping people learn how to love and be loved better. That's what we're doing here on The Language of Love, where I get to answer calls and emails from people just like you. My goal with The Language of Love is to help you discover more meaningful, emotional, and physical intimacy, and to help you build more awareness of how precious and sacred your sexuality really is. Be sure to email me or reach out with your very own love, sex, relationship questions, and I might just answer them live on the air. It's time we all become fluent in the language of love. Welcome, everybody. I'm so excited to talk to you about really anything to do with sex, love, and relationships, but in particular, this whole idea of spicing it up. I've been working as a sex, love, and relationship therapist for over 25 years, and I would say that that is probably the most common question I get asked from people who are in relationships is, how do I keep it spicy? Or after all this time, how do I spice it up? So I really wanted to spend some time even just talking about what that means, but also diving into your questions or concerns or challenges around sexual boredom, around difficulty taking things to the next level, around struggles with vulnerability, which often stand in the way of our ability to have our sexual needs met or speak our sexual needs or ask for what we really want. Sexual shame plays a role in our ability to spice it up. I think porn plays a little bit of a skewed role in our, in our ability or our desires to spice it up. So there's so many directions we can go in this conversation, and I'm definitely going to depend on your guidance about what you want to talk about. I think what's been interesting to me over the course of my career is that, like I said, this is a question I get all the time, how do I spice it up? And what I realized pretty early in my trajectory as a sex, love, and relationship therapist is that I could give you 365 tools, toys, positions, role plays, fun, cute, Cosmo-friendly ideas. And, you know, in a year or maybe a year and a half, if you did a few of them more than once, you would be back to me saying, okay, now how do I spice it up? Because the one thing working against committed relationships, I mean, maybe lots of things, but as we're talking about today, is novelty, right? Once you really get to know someone and you're not chasing after them and the relationship becomes more stable and you're both committed and ironically, especially if the relationship is healthy and there's like a deep trust there, trust and connection works against novelty, right? You know, the novelty comes as you're discovering each other. And so what I see people really getting caught up in is imagining that the only thing that's going to create that spice that they're looking for, that excitement that they're looking for is novelty, because that's the only thing that they've ever learned or had modeled for them on television and movies and all of that. That's the only thing they imagine can create excitement is novelty. And obviously, once you get to know everybody, somebody else, warts and all, everything about them and, you know, their dirty socks are on the floor and you're, you know, totally committed, the novelty isn't there. And that's why a lot of people become, you know, what I call these infatuation junkies, where they imagine they're falling out of love every time the novelty starts to wane and they start to get into a deeper commitment. That's what scientists call 
the attachment phase. You move from the infatuation phase where it's all about the novelty to the attachment phase, which is much more sustainable. So I'm really here to tell you that certainly novelty is like an easy, low-hanging fruit for creating more excitement in your sex life. But it is certainly not the only one. And in a longer-term relationship where there's some trust and connection between the two of you, you have an even greater opportunity to create intensity that goes beyond novelty. So what I have found is that novelty, newness, can certainly create intensity. And that's what we're really looking for when we're looking to quote unquote spice things up. We want that intensity, that excitement. But when you're in a long-term relationship, you have an opportunity if you're both willing to be vulnerable and you're willing to try some new things. And I don't just mean new positions, role plays and toys, but like new levels of self-disclosure. Then you can actually create a much more intensive sexual experience And I wrote about this in one of my latest, in my latest book, Quantum Love, there is a chapter on quantum sex. And a lot of what I put in there is gleaned from the Kama Sutra, from Tantra, from lots of different Eastern philosophies, which quantum love in general was about how to, uh, all of this fascinating science that has been developed over the past you know, 50 to 75 years of how to harness your body's frequency. You know, our bodies have this energetic frequency, how to harness that in service to your relationship. With quantum sex, you're actually becoming aware of your own sexual energy and sexual frequency because for most of us, sexual energy, including orgasm, is genitally focused, right? It's between the legs. It's like in that region. And when I'm talking about quantum sex, and I'll continue to talk about this throughout our time, I want to make sure to get to your questions too. But when I'm talking about quantum sex, I'm actually talking about really attuning to the sensations starting often in your genital region, but then learning to pull those up and move them through your different energy centers in your body and share them circularly with your partner. And it becomes really beautiful and literally mind-blowing, you know, where the energy almost can come out the top of your head when you start to play with this. So we will definitely get into that. I want to make sure that I get to your questions. I have a question. What's your question? My question is, you talked about this idea of novelty creates intensity in a relationship. And then in a sense, it's low-hanging fruit. When something's new or novel, it does create that excitement. In some ways, it's in direct conflict with the trust and comfort that we build. You mentioned right. dirty socks on the ground. Let's face it, sometimes the doors open, you're going to the bathroom, like all sorts of things happen. But if, if novelty is the low-hanging fruit and, and maybe it's not the only approach we should take, what are some other examples of ways in which we can spice up the relationship? Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about some of the ways and and beyond starting fresh with a brand new partner that you're going to have novelty with, right? The next kind of quote unquote novelty is to inject something or introduce something into your sex life together that you've never done before, right? Or that you haven't done a lot before or that you've always fantasized about. So that's in the category of toys, 
costumes, role plays. You know, one of the things that I often have couples do who are looking for sort of more tangible, practical ways to, you know, create more energy between the two of them is that I have them create what's called what I call a fantasy box. So each of you write down all the sexual fantasies you have that you would want to act out together. I don't mean like every random sexual fantasy you you know that you wouldn't really in real life if given the chance want to do, but it's really fun and exciting to think about, right? But I mean the things that you would actually want to do together. And you each write them down and you make a promise, you know, we're not going to judge each other. Nobody's going to run freaking out. You know, we're going to be We're going to each hear, because these are just fantasies, we're going to each hear each other's fantasies, and then we're going to come up with a common list. And you may need to negotiate. You know, if one of you has always had a fantasy about having sex in a public place and the other is scared to death of that and could never do that, you know, maybe the fantasy becomes having sex in the backyard or on a roof of some building at night where nobody, you know, is really around to see you, right? But you could theoretically get caught versus in the middle of a park, you know, at noon, right? Or a playground. So you can find ways to amend those fantasies so that they match both of you or you can meet in the middle. And then once you have that list, you write them on little pieces of paper, put them in a little shoebox, and once a month, you know, pull one out. And not that you're only having sex once a month. Ideally, you're having sex once a week, but maybe once a month or even once every three months. It doesn't have to be every time. You pull out one of those little fantasies and the one who's, you know, had the idea first and whose fantasy it really is kind of sets the stage and takes responsibility for making that happen. And that's been a way that I find that couples in long-term relationships can kind of create more intensity. Another is by doing anything that stimulates the dopamine centers of the brain. And that's what they see when couples are in that initial novelty infatuation phase where they can't get enough of each other. The dopamine centers of their brain are fired like crazy. They've done brain studies where they've, stu- you know, when you're when they're thinking about their new beloved, the dopamine centers, which are the addicted addiction center of the brain, the same part that lights up with cocaine, lights up when you think about your new love. And obviously with familiarity, that novelty diminishes and the dopamine centers are firing less. So there has been some interesting research done that when couples do something that is dopamine enhancing together, like really something, practically it would be something adventurous together, something out of their comfort zone together, and that doesn't have to be sexual, then that actually stimulates the dopamine centers. There was a really cool study that came out years ago where they had couples, they had different groups of couples. One group went on like a romantic picnic in the park. One, you know, Netflixed and chilled. And one group went on like roller coasters and all of the, you know, to an amusement park doing all these scary rides. And they found that the couples that did the more scary stuff, even more than the romantic picnic in the park stuff, actually had higher desire afterwards than anyone else. And it makes sense. So if you do, you know, go rock wall climbing, go to a amusement park, do something, you know, go go white water rafting, just do something that is kind of out of your comfort zone. For some couples, that could even be taking a cooking class. You know, it could be anything just out of your comfort zone together will stimulate your bonding and your dopamine. So, you know, those are really practical ways to kind of 
you know, obviously there are the toys and the role plays and the things that you can get into. And a lot of those would fall into the category of the fantasy box, right? Thank you for sharing all this information. I coach couples as well. And sex is one of my favorite topics. And I'm often asked, what is the average amount of time for couples to have sex? And I know it varies by the number of years they've been married. And I'm talking about married couples. Yeah. So do you have any... And then the other question was, um, what is considered a sexless marriage? Okay, so I think what if I understand your question correctly, you're not as you're asking um, not how long most people's sexual encounters last who are in married relationships, but how often they are having sex. Correct. So here's how I answer that question. And that's the second most common question I get. The first is how to spice it up. The second is how often should we be doing it? And my answer is like this. You are asking me that question. So that you can then turn to your partner and say, see, we should be having more sex or see, you know, we don't have to have as much sex as you say. Right. We're all looking for this norm and or this expectation. And in my experience, working with as many couples as I have, not only clinically, but just hearing from thousands and thousands of people every day on my show and online and everything else. It's, you know, my clinical opinion is that if you're in a monogamous long-term relationship, ideally you are having sex at least once a week. Now, does that mean that it's swinging from the chandeliers a three-hour extravaganza once a week? No, maybe that happens once a month, especially if you have busy lives and not a lot of privacy and, you know, a lot going on in your lives. But ideally you should be doing it once a week and not going more then two weeks, unless there's real illness or issues in the relationship. And that, in my experience, is really what sustains the sexual connection. It doesn't mean that you can't be connected if you have less sex, certainly if you have more sex. And it doesn't mean that you can't reconnect if you haven't had sex for a while. But when you move into the sexless category, I mean, there's lots of definitions for the quote unquote sexless marriage, but It's considered having sex, you know, one to three times a year or less. And there is a startling amount of people that are living in sexless marriages and in sexless relationships, especially because so many people struggle with low desire and difficulty sexually responding and they don't know how to talk about it and then they start avoiding it. And when sex is working in a relationship, it's just one small part of the working relationship. But when it's not working, it really starts to fray the fiber of the connection. And so you feel like this big valley has built between the two of you. And it's even if you have the desire, it can feel awkward and difficult to cross, which is why someone like you or me or whoever that works with you to help you kind of recharge your sex life can be so helpful. But it is it is really, really common. And certainly one piece of the puzzle is that it's gotten boring, you know, and they need to spice it up. But I find that when men are struggling with a partner with low desire who doesn't want to have sex, they immediately think she's, you know, and especially if it's a woman, they immediately think she's bored. And that's why she doesn't want to have sex. And that's the last 
reason she doesn't want to have sex on the list of reasons she probably doesn't want to have sex. But what he does is, oh, I'll spice it up. I'll get this fantasy box going. I'll get her some sexy lingerie. We'll do so, you know. Meanwhile, she has low desire. She doesn't want that. But he's thinking like a guy, right? When a guy withdraws from sex, it's more often than not because he's either bored and it's more fun to just do it by himself and fantasize or watch porn, or he's struggling with sexual function issues. So he's avoiding it from a sense of failure. When women aren't interested, there's usually a lot of other things going on that often are affecting her sexual desire, you know, but not directly related to it. Does that answer your question, Bernita? Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, so let's talk about quantum sex, which is one of my favorite topics, beginning with, and we've talked in, in past shows about quantum love, right? And, and that's the title of the book in which quantum sex is a chapter. I could actually write a whole book on quantum sex and probably will one day. But when we're talking about quantum sex and quantum love, it's about harnessing your body's frequency. Our bodies are pure everything, not only our bodies, everything in our environment, everything everywhere is atom. It's atomic energy. We physically are vibrating atoms that are vibrating at a specific frequency and speed. And we actually match each other's frequency unconsciously. That's a big piece of the quantum love. And what it teaches is how you as an individual can use your body's energetic frequency to actually change things in your relationship and your current relationship and have your partner show up differently in the way that you want, but also how you can use that to call love in if you're looking for love. So it really is kind of the science behind what we hear of as manifesting or the law of attraction or like attracts like. It's really, it's not just saying what you want and those positive affirmations you may give to yourself. It's really about the energetic frequency and how that interacts with the quantum field that we're all part of. Now, when we're talking about quantum sex, that is really spicy because what's happening is, as I was saying earlier, the for most of us, je- the sexual experience is genitally localized. The sensations, the arousal, the orgasm is localized at least to the pelvic region, right? And so for the man, a male, when he with or someone with a penis, doesn't have to be a male, but someone who has a penis, their arousal process is, you know, there's increase in blood flow, there's muscle tension, ejaculation happens when, you know, there's contractions in the pelvic floor and also fluid from the prostate and the seminal vesicles and the testes, you know, the sperm from the testes, it all mixes together and propels out the penis. When women have an orgasm, it's intense contraction and release of muscle tension. Some women do ejaculate as well. I could get into all of that with you as well, but I won't yet. Let me know if you have some questions on that. But It's all localized to the pelvic floor, as are the sensations. What you're doing when you're having quantum sex is you're actually pulling those sensations up. So most importantly, to learn this or to even experiment with this, it's best to do it by yourself through self-stimulation first. Because once you're trying to do it with someone else, if you don't really have a good handle on it sensorily and cognitively, it's really hard 
to translate that with a partner. Also, you're distracted. You're focused on your partner's needs. You're focused on a lot of other things when you're with someone else. And so I think it's really important to practice this on your own during self-stimulation. And I do find that for women in particular, and some men as well, using vibratory stimulation, so using a vibrator to practice this really enhances the sensation enough that you can really practice moving the energy along. So what you do is, you know, this is in my book as well, more specifically, if you get quantum love, but there's lots of different kinds of techniques and they all have different names, but basically I'm going to give you a quick summary of, of some of them. What you're doing is you're imagining even, you know, this is before orgasm or anything else. As soon as you feel genital sensation, you are practicing squeezing and releasing your Kegel muscles, which are those muscles that you use to stop the flow of urine, you know, midstream. If you were to stop it, it's the same muscles. And so you literally are squeezing that muscle and you're breathing in deeply, almost like a straw, and you're imagining sucking that sensation up to, you know, right below your belly button and then relaxing, breathing out and then squeezing again and sucking up to the next energy center, which would be right above your belly button and then to the center of your chest and then to your throat and then to the space between your eyes. And you're sort of practicing. At first, you may only be able to feel the sensation pulling up one stop, right? On this kind of elevator of energy, you can pull up. And then you just practice that and maybe even circle the energy around. So as you breathe in, you imagine the sensation pulling up to maybe your belly button region. And as you breathe out, you relax those muscles and imagine it settling back into your pelvic floor. And then you breathe in, squeeze, you pull it up to that same place, and then you relax and imagine it pulling right in the base of your pelvis. So you can just stay there for a while and then from there, move on and move on. And these are just examples. But another great one is sort of creating a circle because when we're, work, when we're talking about the masculine and the feminine, and this could be male or female, to have sexual tension in a relationship, doesn't matter what your genders are or how you identify, one of you is more in their masculine energy and one is more in their feminine energy. And the feminine energy is more flowing, more emotionally uh, expressive, more creative. The masculine is more containing, more directive, uh, more forceful in a good way, not in a I force you sort of way. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And we all have masculine and feminine within us, obviously. We're all of those things, but we tend toward one end or the other. So when I say masculine or feminine, I'm talking about that, right? So the one of you who tends to be more in their masculine or males in many cases, although they could be more in their feminine in the relationship, you receive sexual energy through your genitals and share it through your heart. 
and the feminine receives sexual energy through her heart and shares it through her genitals. And this is really interesting because we see the same thing happen in relationships. When I've done national surveys on what the most sexually satisfied women have in common and the women who have the highest libidos, it's that they feel that heart-to-heart connection, that emotional connection with the person they're having sex with. Those those women who are most sexually satisfied have that sensation. And in long-term relationships, sexual desire is really sourced from that feeling of deep emotional connection. That's going to inspire a woman more sexually than physical attraction even. So, and for men, men achieve a sense of emotional closeness and connection often in these long-term relationships through the act of sex. So when they're with a female partner or any partner who withdraws from them sexually, they don't have that means to feel the heart-to-heart connection. So it sort of is reflected in this very ancient tantric circle that was taught thousands of years ago, which is as you're having, like, let's pretend you're having intercourse, right? You imagine if you're the female or the one who is in their feminine, you imagine sharing energy through your genitals and receiving energy through your heart. And if you are the one more in your masculine or male, you actually are sharing energy through your heart and receiving it through your genitals. So you can start breathing with that and you almost start to create a circle. And it's actually not hard to do because of what I was saying earlier, that that genital sensation is so strong during sex. So if you focus your consciousness on that genital sensation, and if you're the male, right, you imagine pulling that up to your heart as you breathe in and as you breathe out, imagine it going from your heart into your partner's heart. And she's imagining it coming into her heart, dropping down to her genitals, and then sharing it with him through her genitals. Or we also teach couples to breathe in that energy even through the top of their head or from the center of the earth and share it that way just to get it started. My question is, when you teach something like this and you share, you you said esoteric, these are concepts that maybe some have difficulty really processing. How can you, for somebody that maybe is having a bit of challenge really trying to understand this, what are the, I guess, either the misconceptions or the things that people don't quite understand? And if you could demystify it or break it down in a way that will be as easy to process as possible, that'd be helpful. Well, just to operationalize this, you know, once you practice this, what I'm talking about, you will immediately feel it. And all of us who have had, you don't have to have had an orgasm before even, but all of us who have had sexual genital sensation before, either by themselves or with someone else, can work with this. And it's really about creating a body awareness because you can have full body orgasms. We're just taught to keep it all localized to the genital region. So if you just start by allowing that to happen, you know, have sex or self-stimulate the way you normally would, right? But just become extremely aware while you're doing that of the physical sensation of that energy, because what that sexual sensation is, is a kind of energy. And so if you are aware of the sensation and the vibration of that sensation, and that's all you do the first several times, 
that's doing a lot. And then that gives you an awareness of it so that you can start playing with that. You know, I like to encourage people to imagine it as like a ball of energy that's sort of building and growing in your genital region and you can actually pull it up, right? Or even blow it out through your genitals into the earth, which I don't see why you would unless you're trying to dispel some, you know, get rid of some sexual energy. But if you're trying to build it and build arousal, you would pull it up. Um, And so you just start playing with that, just noticing the sensations and the intensity of the sensations and imagining it like a brilliant, vibrating ball of energy. And then you imagine just pulling that up a little bit and dropping back down and then pulling. And as soon as you try it, you'll you'll it'll make total sense because these this is actually something that comes really naturally to us, but not something that most of us, you know, in the modern world have been taught to do. And in a lot of indigenous societies, they're taught to do this. In ancient societies, even in Egyptian societies, they were taught to do this. But in modern society, we are not. Erica, do you have a question? I do. So my question, you kind of touched on it, but I I feel like I'm blessed and I have no problem orgasming. And that's not an issue, but my orgasms are very weak, I guess, Mm -hmm. if that's a term. And I think the techniques you just described sound like a great place to start. But I was just curious if you have any other thoughts on strength of orgasm in women. Like it seems some women have stronger, more like explosive orgasms and other people. It's more like a, you know, like a gentle, lovely sort of sensation. And is that something you can cultivate or should you just accept that's how your body experiences pleasure? No, I think you absolutely can cultivate it. And so many things go into orgasmic intensity, but most significantly would be muscle tone and hormones, especially if they were more intense before and now after babies or perimenopause or medications you started or whatever else that, you know, certainly if you were on any SSRIs like Zoloft or Prozac, antidepressants, that can affect orgasmic intensity as well. But, you know, so there are those medical reasons, right? And also even inhibitions that some people have that kind of squelch their experience of the arousal. But it really, on a physical level, comes down to muscle. You know, what an orgasm essentially is, is an intense contraction and release of muscle tension that feels very pleasurable because of the nerves and blood vessels that are being stimulated. And so... Anything, if you want to have better orgasms in general, and this goes for men too, especially when it comes to staying power, you want to strengthen your pelvic floor muscles. So the pelvic floor is what contracts during orgasms, and it is kind of like a hammock of muscles that hold up, you know, for a woman, all of her reproductive organs. And the way that you strengthen those is not only through the Kegels that I alluded to, you know, where you squeeze those muscles that you would use squeeze to stop midstream when you're peeing or something, you know, that's the best way to identify them. So exercising those, not while you're peeing, but at other times, several hundred times a day, really squeezing and releasing and strengthening those muscles, but also exercising, you know, what we call the transverse abdominal muscles. Those are those deep abdominal muscles that surround the entire torso. That is also part of your pelvic floor. So the more you're, you know, what we know of as core exercise, right? So the more you exercise your core and your Kegels and strengthen those, the better your orgasms will be. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. 
all the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And certainly, if there are any medications or medical conditions that are impairing nerve function or blood flow or anything like that, you would want to attend to that. And then beyond that, it's really practice. And you're right that practicing what I'm talking about, like in your case, since it's since the sensation is a little weak or diffuse to start, I would encourage you just to practice building it. So what I would want you to do is focus on the gen on the pelvic region and provide some stimulation, probably, you know, I would say some vibratory sensation. So use a little vibrator or something and don't let yourself reach orgasm too quickly and really practice. So you let yourself get to, you know, if 10 is orgasm, you let yourself get to like a four or a five. And as you're doing that, you're breathing in the and up the sensation you're having and just breathe it to your belly button while you squeeze those Kegels. And then you open your Kegels wide as you breathe out and you imagine that sensation settling in your pelvic floor. And you know, keep doing that. So you'll kind of get, you'll be going between like a five and a seven, up and down, up and down between a five and a seven, even if you have to pull away the sensation for a minute, but allow the sensation to build, allow yourself to experience the pulling it up and the dropping it down. And you'll notice that that ball of energy I'm talking about starts to feel really dense and full and congested in that region. And you can practice pulling it up more from there. But what I would want for you, since your orgasms you know, need to, could be stronger, is to just stay there at first and have an orgasm that way. And my guess is it's going to be a lot more intense and powerful just doing that. And then you can practice pulling it up more and more until it comes out the top of your head. Okay, great advice. And then in terms of the hormones, you mentioned if I was going to get hormones tested, which one should I look at or look you know, to measure. Yeah. Well, prefacing this with I'm a PhD, not an MD. Okay. So I can't, you know, give medical advice, but I certainly have ushered thousands of people through this process. And we know that testosterone plays a huge role in sensation and muscle tone, including orgasmic muscle tone. And estrogen plays a role in sort of engorgement and blood flow that leads to lubrication and a lot of the sensation. And those are the two, I mean, there's progesterone as well, but estrogen and testosterone are the main players in sexual response. And so to get those checked, in my opinion, and where I usually refer people is to someone who really understands hormones and works with what are called bioidentical hormones. So they are bioidentical hormones are compounded, you know, in a laboratory, but they are made from natural sources and they can be customized. So you're getting the lowest possible dose of exactly what you're missing. And so people who work with bioidentical hormones do specific kind of testing to under usually urine and saliva, sometimes blood as well, and a symptom checklist and whatever. And then they and it can take three to six months to kind of because they 
slowly titrate up until they get rid of any symptoms that are present that are related to the tis- to the hormone levels. So I think the first step, if if you are the women who seem to be most at risk, it doesn't mean it doesn't happen to you if you're not at risk, but the women who seem to be most at risk are women, you know, in their mid to late 30s or older, women who have had a couple of kids. There's something called postpartum androgen deficiency syndrome, which typically happens after the second kid, sometimes after the first. Women who are on antidepressants or who have diabetes or who have any kind of cardiovascular disease and women who are on those SSRIs. I don't know if I mentioned that. So those tend to be, if you're not in any of those categories, I wouldn't necessarily think that first that this is a hormonal issue. But if any of that sounds familiar, it's definitely worth getting it checked out and make sure that they measure your testosterone, your free circulating testosterone, as well as your total testosterone, because you could have plenty of total testosterone, but just not a lot of free circulating testosterone because of something else going on. And you might as well not have it if it's not free and circulating, you know, if it's bound up. Awesome. Super helpful. And do you know offhand, I know you're not an MD, but (laughs) what those numbers should kind of look like? Because I think I did get some hormonal testing done. I don't know Uh, if it was the free, but I could check. Yeah. Check for the free. If I remember, and and don't quote me on this, but I think it's 0.9 nanograms per deciliter, I think. I I can't, I, I wouldn't hold me to that. So, but, but I will say this, what the lab says is the normal range their threshold is too low. So in other words, they would say, let's say the number was 0.9, right? For free circulating testosterone. They would say anything lower than 0.5 is fine, right? But if you are in the lowest third of your testosterone levels and the lowest third of normal, according to that lab, and you're having symptoms, then I would say to see someone who specializes in bioidentical hormones. Okay. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise. And I love your uh, podcast as well. Thank you. Thank you for listening. All right. So someone is asking, what are some things you can do to be more exciting? Now, to me, I distinguish that from to make sex more exciting, right? To be more exciting. That's an interesting question because it could mean, and maybe they can clarify more, but because this was a written question, but it could mean to be more exciting to my partner, or it could be that they're trying to say, how can I get more excited for sex, right? So if it's about being more exciting for your partner, then you are probably with a partner, one of two things. I talk to a lot of women who are like so focused on being sexually exciting that they're not even focused on their own pleasure. They're more focused on getting the guy, keeping the guy, making sure that he doesn't stray. I've got to be like some, you know, like the quintessential porn star to keep this guy, you know, and I think we do ourselves a disservice. Like, obviously, if you enjoy those things and it's fun for you and it turns you on, you know, then you should do it. But I think when you really focus on how can I like make it crazy enough so that he won't stray, that isn't sustainable over if you're talking about a long-term monogamous relationship. I mean, not that you shouldn't always try to put an effort into your sex life and that you shouldn't, you know, make an effort to be sexually attractive and to be engaged sexually with your partner. But I think there is, I do see a population of women who, you know, are really, they'll take every pole dancing class and every, you know, they're just like, I gotta, 
be like a porn star to get the guy. And, you know, I would disagree with you. I think it's good to have those skills if they turn you on and are fun for you or something fun to do. But to put that pressure on yourself isn't sustainable and isn't about maintaining a healthy, mutual, committed relationship if that's what you're looking for and wanting and enjoying. Now, if you're asking, how can I be more exciting because your partner isn't interested in sex, you know, that's a much broader question. And when someone is not as interested in sex with you anymore or at all, you know, the question is why, right? And there are always emotional reasons, relationship reasons, and even physical reasons happening simultaneously. It's like, I always say, it's like a puzzle picture with all these different pieces of the puzzle. So I would I would need more information, but I would tell you in general, very, very general terms, if you are, you know, if you are finding that you're with a woman with low desire, pay attention, you know, maybe check out her hormones. Like I was talking earlier about some of the medical, physical causes, medications, you're on medical conditions. If none of that is at play, then it is probably because she's not really feeling the emotional connection with you. And if you could build more of that emotional connection, take some of the pressure off sexually, focus more on sensual connection, even take sex off the table for a while and just focus on making out cuddling, kissing, sharing, you know, take the pressure off for a little bit. I find that very often when women start to feel that non-pressured, non-sexual, emotional, and even romantic, physical connection without someone pushing at them when they're not really in the mood to have sex, they very often want to have sex. That's the irony of it. So, you know, if you're trying to get a female more engaged, I would say you're more exciting when you're really focusing on her main sexual organ, which is her brain and her heart, right? Like really connecting there. Um, If we're talking about a male with low sexual desire, very often the two main categories I see there are either medical hormonal or stress, specifically stress. I find most kinds of stress don't really negatively impact a man's libido as much as financial or work-related stress. So once again, to answer the question why the lack of interest is there, is it that you really aren't into it and you're not putting any effort in and you're not trying to be exciting or is there something else going on? So hopefully that gives you a start. If you want to give me more specifics, I'm happy to get more into it. We have Johnny ready to make a comment or ask a question. What's on your mind, Johnny? So the question is that, uh, you know, I'm a very hot guy and I feel like, why do not girls hit on me? Okay. Do you ever hit on them? No. So you just want them to hit on you? Yeah. Okay. Why? Are you scared of being rejected? Mm, Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. Well, so are women. You know, I have to approach a girl and why doesn't a girl approach me? Yeah, that well, it depends. It depends on what culture you're in and where do you live in the world? Are you in a culture or in an environment where women typically, where it's okay and acceptable for women to come on to guys? If I were in your place, would you hit on me? I wouldn't hit on you because I'm married, first of all. And if I were single, I don't know. But what I would say to you is no one wants to feel like there are games being played. And so, you know, one of two things, if you are indeed an attractive, you know, visually attractive guy, 
what either what is happening is that you are accidentally giving off cues that you're not really open and interested. You're not smiling at anyone or catching anyone's eyes or standing in a way that shows that your body language is open or you aren't getting the cues from the women around who are looking at you, smiling at you, trying to wave you in, and you're not really getting the message, right? So sometimes women come on to you by not necessarily marching up to you and being like, hey, baby, you want to get out of here? You know, they are just sort of smiling at you, looking at you again and again out of the corner of their eye, you know, turning towards you and waiting for you to come over. So the worst that can happen is she'll say no. Give it a try. If you're as hot as you say, you should be very successful. I think you should try to make the first move or at the very least, make a conscious effort to smile and let a woman know, send her a drink, whatever it is, let her know that you're interested, even if it's not very obvious or marching up to her. Hopefully that gives you a little direction. I thank all of you for being here and those of you who ask questions especially, but all of you for joining me talking about how to spice things up. I think, you know, the main thing is that for each of us, that means something different. But in the end, sex and sexual pleasure and joy and connection, even with oneself that it brings, is really our birthright. And every one of us is entitled to a beautiful sex life. And so if you have any questions, you can always join me here on The Language of Love. You can also always go and ask questions at languageoflovepod.com where you can find all the places you can listen to the podcast and there's a way to uh, leave voicemail questions and email questions. And I will be back here next week at the same time to talk more about sex, love, and relationships so that if there's any topic you want to cover just let me know there's no question off limits thank you guys thank you so much for joining me on this episode of language of love i love all these questions from you and you remember that you can keep them coming you just go to drlauraberman.com right there on the home page you can either leave a voicemail question or an email question you can also go to speakpipe.com backslash language of love directly and leave a voicemail question as well. But it's sometimes easier just to click on the link. I will meet you back here. A brand new podcast is coming out next Wednesday. So look for that. Make sure to subscribe if you like it. And I'll see you next time on the language of love.